You know, it's um, very important to get together today. It's always important to study Torah. But uh, today being that it's the third day of Tammuz, uh, which is the 20th yard side of the Rebbe, and uh, the Rebbe promoted classes, the Rebbe promoted learning, the Rebbe promoted generally people getting together for positive things a lot. And although it was always known that you know studying Torah as a community is great, but the Rebbe put a lot of emphasis. Also the Rebbe put a lot of emphasis on study of Torah of Jewish women. Matter of fact, today's talk that I'm going to give over a little bit from today's class, you know, it's just a regular talk by the Rebbe and the published in the Rebbe's uh, Sichos, Lakutei Sichos, and the Rebbe twists it around to tell us the importance of the Jewish women. So it's it's interesting that while giving this class uh, for women, uh, Rebbe Sicha is actually specifically geared for the special role and the special, um, I guess, privilege and also responsibility of Jewish women. It, in Judaism, it comes together. Uh, privilege just comes with responsibility. If you are privileged, then you get a responsibility. But of course, also, uh, we're all devastated and we're all shocked and uh, heartbroken by the horrific, horrific acts of these, you know, savages, murderers, you know, the terrorists, you know, may Hashem avenge their blood of these young, innocent lives that were beautiful flowers in the tree and they were cut off. And, um, and we don't know, we don't have answers to questions why. And um, uh, we talked about it a little bit at the other women's get-together is that sometimes if we knew why, would be no good because then we would not cry, we wouldn't feel for them. If we can see the reasons for Hashem's actions, so then we wouldn't feel bad. And we are supposed to try to rectify things. We're supposed to, if we see that somebody isn't feeling well, we're supposed to make them feel good. That's our obligation. We're supposed to help others and we're supposed to help ourselves uh, do better. And understanding reasons why sometimes would actually hinder our our compassion, our feelings for other people. So it's important for us to to know that, you know, sometimes things happen, we don't understand why they happen. But, you know, it's it's something which is so difficult. So well what what is a response? What could we what what could we do about this? You know what what could we do about this? You can't fight. We can't fight bullets with bullets. Yeah, we have to leave it to the Israeli army to find the perpetrators, punish them. You know as they could to the fullest extent. But we're sitting over here and we're witnessing something that is taking place, something that breaks our heart, something that is. Uh, very difficult to to handle. We're all in mourning. We're all in in, in in shock. So what do we do about it? And you know, especially as as a rabbi, sometimes these are the most difficult uh, times because you can't explain them. There's very very hard to. As a lot of times, it's hard to find words to comfort people and to make them feel better. And maybe we're not supposed to feel better right now. Maybe we're supposed to be feel, you know, upset. Maybe we're supposed to feel angry a little bit and that how could such young lives be cut away so brutally? So, you know, if you can say there's a silver lining, it it brought together Klal Yisrael. And I think that that kid, a 16-year-old kid, to have the courage being kidnapped to call the police and to announce that that's shows a tremendous strength because he was trying to get help. He called from the car, he called and he says, we were kidnapped. And when the terrorists heard that they called, they shot him right, it looks like they shot him right then and there, all three of them. Because, and they were rushing because they knew that the police is going to come right on them, so they quickly ran and they, and they buried them in a, in a, in a, in a shallow grave and, and you know, they found them now. But they, you can hear the gunshots. They have a recording that they released. You can hear the gunshots. You can hear, and you can hear the terrorists screaming at the kids that they should lower their heads. Yeah, in the cell phone, you can hear it. But the police has it recorded. 
So it was, but we don't know what would have been or what, I mean, Hashem had it this way, but, you know, being tortured by this, it could be the worse, you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't have been any better. So maybe, but it was the unbelievable courage of a young kid to not freeze, to take control and try to get someone's help. That was like amazing how a young kid has that, you know, that strength and that ability. Uh, that's, that's amazing. But, but then they went and ignored it. That's what they yeah. Were. Yeah, I know. They ignored very, it. Very, very hard. For five, six hours, they thought it was a prank call. And here they heard gunshots. I don't know. There was something wrong. The police were actually, something is, uh, the police is, is uh, there's some, some, some people have been, some heads have been flying over there. They, there's they, something that they're not telling us. There's, yeah. There's something they're not, because it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. So, to sit today and dedicate our class to their memory, I mean, it, and, you know, they, they are right now in a better place. They are being protected. They are under the wings of the divine. The people that are really, that our hearts right now are grieving are the parents or the families. And nobody should ever have to, uh, you know, bury a child. Nobody should ever have to be in such a situation, especially in these circumstances uh, the families are grieving and we ought to give them some support and do what we can so what 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 could we do what should we do we we can only really strengthen ourselves and i think that if you uh, look a little bit on the blogs the strength that the mothers displayed in a way is surpasses amazing. amazingly even beyond you know the mother addressed the un uh, UN and and she had you know the whole world sort of basically participate in the uh, in, in in explaining the world you know the, the heinous crime you know what they've done and how they uh, what they do to a mother and somehow when you look the blog you can tell that everybody's in mourning and everybody's devastated but I think it's the mothers that. And just looking at some of the pictures, you know, over there, it's just, uh, it's so heart-wrenching, and it's so, uh, and so, how do we, how do we give them some comfort? I mean, how do we help them out? I mean, they're here, and they're grieving, they have the loss, you know, everybody will go back to their lives, everybody will go do their things, and these people will have a hole in their heart that was not going to be, maybe we can close the window. Uh, they have a hole in their heart that is that is uh, going to remain for them, with them for the rest of their lives. So, so I wanted to uh, give over a little bit, and we'll dedicate this class to all these three wonderful souls. The only thing is, sometimes when Hashem takes uh, people for whatever reasons known to Him, takes away their lives or it's considered like an offering to Hashem, like Hashem says to Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. But we know when you give a sacrifice, the sacrifice needs to be the choicest, it needs to be the most beautiful, it needs to be the best. You know, sometimes Hashem takes the best. You know, these were young children. Uh, these were children that were learning Torah. They were going to yeshiva. They were just teenagers, good kids and haven't yet, you know, started life, and they were cut down just before they can even start to start their life. Uh, this is the best we had. I, I mentioned yesterday, you know, somehow it, it was a tree, you know, three makes a bet din, it makes a court, it was like three of them together. Uh, the Talmud says that uh, by the rabbis, uh, you know, we have the ten greatest sages that were murdered brutally also by the... Um, by the Romans who killed its great sages, and they, we we do it in our prayer in Yom Kippur, and over there it says that the angels were complaining to Hashem. He says, "How could this happen? Is this the Torah? Is this the reward for the Torah? I mean, these were the greatest sages. How could this happen?" And Hashem says, "You know, for reasons known to him, that these sages were somewhat somehow an reincarnations for the brothers." And the ten brothers of Joseph, they sold the old brothers. These ten correspond to the other ten. But there's one statement, sentence over there which says, God says, 
that if you were alive at that time, I would judge the brothers in front of you because you are the greatest uh, rabbis. So you would be the ones that would judge them for stealing, you know, a brother and selling. You know, that's a prohibition of the Torah to go ahead and sell a brother and sell to sell a person. Going to issue mechara, you steal somebody and then you sell them. There's a death penalty for that for kidnapping and selling. But it's a, uh, Shem says over there, as the quote there, that I would judge them in front of you. I mean, these three were like a base that they were like together. This uh, number three is very significant. And, and their, their holy souls are sure in, in, in the highest of, of levels. The fact that it's Gimel Thomas, I'm sure that together with the Rebbe, they find themselves in, in, in the spiritual realms. But, you know, these are all, um, after the fact, but we pray that none of none of the Jewish people should have to experience anything like this. Should only see visible and Hashem's good goodness and kindness all the time, openly, without having to come on to anything negative. So um, I wanted to I, I printed out over here just from the parsha. Um, we can just read. Let's just read the chapter twenty-three of today's verse and. We're actually going to just touch on one little verse over here. So uh, this is Bilam. The uh, Bilam was uh, the person who who was uh, yeah. The verses that we're looking here in chapter twenty-three. These are the verses in which the Torah describes uh, how Bilam Bilam wanted to curse the Jewish people, but. Uh, God turned his curses around to blessings. And the interesting thing is that when God turns around the curses to blessings, these are probably some of the most profound blessings that we have. Um, like the verses that we read over here are verses, you know, some of them we do in the morning, like Matovu Ahalecha Yaakov, Mishkanatecha Yisrael, it comes from, from here. And many other verses, maybe open up the window a little bit. And many other verses, um, and the, the, the blessings here are really powerful stuff. Um, so if you read inside, so he says, I just want to stop at one, one verse over here. Um, so he says here um, in verse 9, let's do verse 9. This is uh, Balak, uh, this is Bilam, uh, he's giving this blessing. So he's saying like this. For from their beginning, I see them as mountain peaks. That means he sees the Jewish people as mountain peaks. I behold them as hills. It is a nation that will dwell alone and will not be reckoned amongst the nations. Again, so the verse is telling them, telling us over here that he's blessing them. He says, I see them. I see the Jewish people as mountain peaks. What does it mean, mountain peaks? A mountain peak is a very high area that shows on strength. I see them from the beginning. What does it mean from the beginning? So the Midrash says that these two words, these two uh, mountain peaks and hills refer to the forefathers and the foremother, and uh, the four, foremothers, which is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. So basically what Bilam was saying, I look at them now, and I see their ancestors. I see where they come from. That they come from very great and holy people. And these people are like the mountain peaks, which means they have strength. They are like the hills which are high up. And they give strength to this nation. And basically, nobody is going to be able to harm. Nobody is going to be able to do anything bad to these people because they are anchored 
and they have the protection, a very powerful protection of our forefathers and our foremothers from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. So over here, we have the references to where we come from. And we know that the Jewish people have the three forefathers and the four mothers. What are these mothers and fathers? What does it mean? Let's just stop for a second. What what does it mean when we say that we have fathers? What does it mean when we say we have a father versus what does it mean that they are our fathers, they are mothers? Because usually what we're saying is that when a, a child possesses certain qualities or genes or uh, talents, it is sort of passed along from the parent to the child. So since we are children from Abram, Isaac, and Isaac and Jacob, we have some of their qualities. Their qualities and their strength, their specialties is something that we are beneficiaries. Why? Because we are their children. The qualities of the mothers of Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah is something that we possess. Why? Because Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah were our mothers. Since they are our mothers, we have some of their qualities. And because of that, basically, Bilam was saying, they are fortified, they are strong, they are a people who possess these greatness. And because they possess these greatness, you won't be able to touch them. You won't be able to curse them. You won't be able to annihilate them. You won't be able to do anything to them. As we said about these terrorists, they may cut off some flowers, some beautiful flowers, but they can't damage the whole garden. We as a Jewish people will persevere. We will overcome this too. So while they could hurt us and they can take away sometimes our best, but yet we are grounded and we are very strong. We are like the mountain peaks and we are like the hills that nobody can touch. That's basically the simple meaning of, of the verse. So we mentioned here both fathers and mothers. Now how do we refer, according to the Medrash, how do we refer to the fathers in this verse? First of them as what? As mountain peaks. And how do we refer to the mothers? As hills. What seems to imply a more fierce, a more greater? Is it the uh, mountain, the, 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 just the hills, or it's the mountaintops? Mountaintop seems to be a little bit stronger. It seems to represent a higher level because you have the high mountains and then we have the you see the exact translation of the word here paper so you have the mountain peaks which is represents a higher level and then you have hills hills are represent not such a high level it's hills it's a little high up but it's not so high so the mothers seem to be on a lower and a lesser level than the forefathers as they're described in this pasuk. In this talk, what the Rebbe was trying to, is, is trying to give us, to teach us, is that notwithstanding that in order of things, the way the Torah counts, the fathers come before the mothers and the fathers are on a higher level than the mothers, as described in this verse, yet it is the mothers that actually have that special connection to make a difference in the world, to actually give the world what it really needs to have. Uh, The Rebbe talks about the relationship between children, a child and its father, and the child and its mother. And when we examine the relationship from a child with the father and the mother, 
and the Rebbe examines it on various different levels, we see one uh, idea that goes across the board, uh, and the idea is that when we talk about uh, the father, it may be that he has a um, a higher uh, source and he has uh, uh, a greater level uh, but the relationship to the child is a lot closer to, from the mother to the child than it is to the father of the child. The connection from a child with a mother and first the Rebbe begins with a very simple very simple idea that the seed comes from the father. So that is really the essence and the very general uh, child that is eventually spends nine months in the mother's womb that it develops. So the father's connection to the child is just in a very general way. But the, the development of the child, making it into uh, specific... Uh, limbs, the, all the all the limbs and everything to develop that takes place in the mother's womb, and therefore, eventually, uh, when the child is born, the father is more distant from the child, and the mother, because the mother was there to develop the child in its full and all the details, the mother is much more engaged and much more present in the child's life. And, and that's why we find that a child, the expression of love is more to a mother, and the expression of fear is more to a father. Because love is a level of closeness. Love represents bringing together. And the mother and the child have been together, and they're there for together in their details and that's why they connect in a close way where fear or represents distance something from afar the father's relationship to the child is um, is more a distance more of fear and that's why we find like when the Torah commands uh, the Torah will switch around and he will say uh, that you shall uh, Honor, uh, uh, it says, So when it talks about fear, uh, that you need to fear your mother, what does fear means? Fear it doesn't mean fear, you know, getting beat right. with a belt. Fear means, when you fear means, like the Torah says, fear means uh, honor. What is honor? What is fear? Honor means to give them, serve them. Fear means not to interrupt their words, not to sit on their place. Uh, that means out of respect, also not to sit in there. That, that, that is considered fearing the Father. So when it comes to fear, the Torah needs to take and say, first the mother, because the mother is more vulnerable, because a child may not express that level of fear for a mother, will be more for a father, will not interrupt the father, but may interrupt the mother. So it's... Torah wants to tell you, no, you got to be careful as far as that goes, even though naturally you might not be inclined. As far as honor goes, it goes the other way around. A child may, honor means like, you know, to bring something over, to have, that may be more for a mother than a father. Over there the Torah reverses and writes, to make sure that also your father have that level of love and awe. These are the two levels. But... Um, and the Rebbe says that uh, this um, this level that uh, that the uh, woman brings to the house. So there is one thing in the relationship as it relates to children specifically, but then uh, there is a home. A home is basically a microcosm. It's a small. It's a small world. You have a big world out there, and then we have our little world. Our little world is our home. And we can learn from the way things work in the big world to the way things work in our home, in our little world. And when we 
um, start to um, talk about father, mother, and child, this also gets involved in another area. A child basically means who comes from a father and a mother. So you have a derivative, a child. So there is also a spiritual child. What would mean a spiritual child? Because we know that when a person reflects about something, if you think about something, you will create an emotional, uh, either drawing to it or fear of it, because you're thinking about it. Um, mostly it's used in this context, it's used in the level of serving Hashem, of serving God. Uh, we need to, and one of the Hasidic principles is that people should not just quickly pray or quickly do things mitzvahs, but people should first reflect and uh, appreciate the opportunity of doing a mitzvah and davening. How does one appreciate? So it doesn't come by itself. It takes time. You got to think about it. So you got to think about, oh, you know, I am a created being and Hashem is infinite and in His great kindness He gave me life. He allows me to pray to Him. He allows me to connect to Him. So I'm very thankful I should take that opportunity. And then the more you think about it and the stronger and deeper you concentrate and you try to connect to that thought, you will eventually develop a feeling. A feeling of either love, of closeness, that you want to connect, or a feeling of, oh, wow, you know, fear and awe of a distance that you are going to be uh, saying, wow. But it's all based on one's contemplation, one's taking the time to meditate, to reflect, to think about it deeply. That which is created in your how in your heart, which is the emotion, that is considered to be a child. Because that has been born out of your intellectual connection. So your mind is the father, is the parents. Because that is what creates a child, a derivative, what comes from it. So the intellect in general is called the parents, the parents, and the emotions are called the children because the emotions are a development, are a result of the investment of the intellect. Think about it, that's how we get emotionally connected. So we got the parents and we have the children. So the intellect is the parents and the emotions are the children. Now, just like by parents, we have two parents, we have the father and the mother. So the intellect itself, although sometimes we talk about three intellects, three parts of the intellect, but generally speaking, the intellect is divided into two parts. The first part is called chokhmah, and that's power that we have. We all have a power of chokhmah, and we have a power of bina. These are two components of the intellect. The power of chokhmah is the power to grab an idea, just an idea. Before it's developed, just to, there is an idea in the world, but you gotta bring it to yourself, so you get to the, what chokhmah does, it sort of reaches out and grabs an idea. That's the first level, level of chokhmah. Bina, the second step is you take that idea and you start to develop it. And you start making sense of it. So first, there is the idea. And then you have, when you're starting to really perceive it, you're starting to develop it, you're starting to place a part, and you really understand it. So the level of perceiving something, of chokhmah, that's an idea, but it's not yet something which has come down 
into a level that you can really associate with it because it's only an idea. It's not something that you really doesn't have yet all the details. All the limbs are not there. It's like the seed of the father. It's just a general. It's the chokhmah. It's a general way. It's just, it's there. It gives birth to the idea itself. But then it comes down into the mother, which is called the bina, which is the second step, which is the level of the ability to take that idea and take it apart. That's like metaphorically speaking, like the baby in the mother's womb for nine months, in which it gets all the limbs and all the details, everything comes to, comes to pass. So, again, in this, in this case as well, it seems like the process begins with the Chochmah. It begins with the seed of the father. And then later on, it's developed by the mother. But the beginning process is Chochmah. So one would think that, well, if Chochmah starts it, Chochmah is the more important or it's the more stronger part of the intellects that take, that, that, um, that motivate and that create the emotional feelings. But yet, uh, it is the uh, level of Bina, it is the level of the intellect that is able to articulate and to take the parts, that it really creates the emotion that really is invested into the emotional capacity of the of the person. And generally speaking, it would also be like Bina will create a level of, of of mostly the feeling of love, of closeness, of wanting to be. That's a level of closeness. Whereas Chachma, which is the higher, that will represent the more level of yira, of fear, of, of distance, because it hasn't yet really come down. Now we talk about we talk about these powers. We talk about Chachma uh, and Bina in our. That means what it means is basically we have a soul and we have certain powers. We have we have the ability to love. We have the ability to understand. We have different powers. That's our soul. We have strength. We have certain abilities. Those abilities that we have come from somewhere. It says that God created man in the image of God. Because just as we have the ten powers in our soul, which is the level of Chochma, Bina, and then we talk to motion, Ava, and Yira, and then there's more, there is fear and love, or chesed and gavura, there is also the same thing, there is also above, there is also the same ten spheros, because our powers in our soul come from the powers from this sefirot. In the Kabbalah we talk about the sefirot, but how do we know what's going on in the sefirot? We have no clue what's going on in the Kabbalah and the sefirot. How would we know what's going on there? Because since we are in the image of God, so therefore our feelings is what really uh, makes us, uh, gives us the ability to, um, we come from there, and therefore we have the ability to speak about it is because we see the way it works by us, and this is a reflection of what goes on over there. So take the sheet for a minute, and you will see, I tried to put it very, very quickly in here. So, First you have it, the father gives the seed for child, and the mother develops the child. And I talked also about the ten powers, but this is also about the ten sfirot. So if you look to the, on the left side of the column, you have Chochmah, Bina, Dat. Those three are considered the intellectual. We're not talking about Dat now, we're just talking about Chochmah and Bina. That's what we're talking about. And then you have the children, the derivatives, the tuldot, that is Chesed, Gvura, Tiferes, Netzach, Hoid Yisoid, and Malchus. These are the seven attributes or the seven Midos. And they correspond to the day of the week, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Shabbos. Which really essentially means that the way God created the world, and I'm not going to go into now the whole Kabbalistic interpretation, I'm just mentioning it as we're going by, there's that Chochmah and Bina, just like we know by us, Chochmah and Bina create the emotional 
state in our power. So we know above, by the ten Sefirot, that you have the Chochmah and Bina, they are the ones that create the Tuldos, which is Chesed and Gavura. Those are the emotions. They create those emotions above. And usually we talk about Atzilut. That's the name of the Kabbalistic term for the world where the Sefirot are in. Where they start is in the world of Atzilut. So, so over there, they give their children, they give birth to Chesed Gevura Tiferes. Now, what we're saying is that Chochmah, which is the father, actually is connected more to Gevura, to distance, than Bina, which is the mother, which is connected more to Chesed, to love. Because Chesed, love is kindness, is Chesed, and Gevura, Yira, is awe. So, basically, what we're saying over here is that everything starts with the father, but then it goes down to the mother, and then from the mother, it goes down into the world. It goes down into the other sefirot. Now, Hashem runs the world with the sefirot. That's the way Hashem runs the world. That's why we say, Chesed is Sunday, Gevura is Monday. Those are God's sefirot with which He runs the world. So, essentially, Chochmah and Bina give birth to Chesed, Gevura Tiferes, which in turn go ahead and run the world. Hashem runs the world with the Sefirot, as explained in the Kabbalah, that the Sefirot are the emotions, and that is the way, that's what Hashem uses to uh, run, control the world. So, at the end, what it turns out is that Bina is connected with the world. Because Bina is like the mother, it develops, it understands Chesed, the Gevur, it comes, it's connected to it. Whereas Chochmah is removed from the world. Chochmah is too high, is not yet. It's like we said physically, the father is removed from the child, the mother is engaged with the child. Chochmah is distant, Bina is connected. That is... Uh, that is the uh, different relationship. So, what does it mean? What does it, what does it actually mean? Um, what it actually means, um, and uh, so, we said like this, we, we have a father, mother in the physical world that we talked about. We have a father and a mother in the powers of Chochmah Bina, of a person's intellect. We have a father and mother in the Sfirot of Chochmah Bina. We have various different levels of, the, of what we call a father and a mother. Uh, and what we're saying now is that the mother who develops is intimately engaged in the children in what comes out in the derivatives, in the children, Chesed Gvura, where the father is a little bit removed. He is higher, he's above, he's aloof, he's not engaged, he's not like the mother who develops. So he's connected, but he's, he's a little bit higher. What, what is this, how does this uh, explained or brought down into some tangible, uh, so-called tangible uh, ideas over here? Because um, what, what we're trying to do, we see a world in front of us, right? We're seeing a world in front of us. Now the world, as you look at the world itself, you don't see in the world, when you're looking at the world, you don't see in the world that the world proclaims that I was created by God. It doesn't say it. You know, when you look at the world, you almost look like there is no God in the world. Everything is going on its own. You don't see, you don't see a connection between Hashem and the world. You see just an independent world running you know, maybe God created it 6,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, but you don't see a connection. You know, a, a lot of times you see things, and right away they point to something that has brought them about, that's made them. You can tell. When you look at something, you can see where they're coming from. But when you look at the world, at first, you don't see that... Uh, that there is God over here. You don't see God. It's actually a level, it's a, it's, it's a kind of a game of hide and go seek. You know, there is a story told about, 
about the Rebbe, one of the Rebbe's, there were children, they were playing hide-and-go-seek. So one of the kids hid in such a place that nobody could find him. So they were looking and looking for him. So after a few minutes, and nobody could find him, they gave up and they started doing something else. The kid comes out from his hiding place and is crying to his mother. He says, so mommy said, what are you crying about? He said, nobody's looking for me. So the mother said, what's the object of the game? The game is to hide so that nobody can find you. So he said, so nobody can find you, so you actually did the best because nobody can find you. He says, no, no mommy, he says, but the point is they're not looking for me anymore. So they gave up looking, so they're hiding, they don't look for it anymore. So what happens is God, even though we don't see God in the world, but God wants us to go seek Him. He wants us to find Him in the world. The problem becomes that if we give up and we say, okay, we don't look anymore for God because we, we can't see you, we don't find you, and therefore, forget about it, we're not looking for you anymore. That's no good. That's, that, that, that's, Hashem conceals Himself. Hashem hides Himself from the world because He's playing with us sort of a game of hide-and-go-seek. He wants us to go seek Him. Hashem wants us to find Him within the world so that we should see God's hands. So a lot of times things are happening and taking place. God wants you to seek out and try to understand and find how Hashem is connected to the world, notwithstanding the fact that when you look at it, you don't see it. But you go ahead, look hard, and we have to keep on searching. But what happens? What happens when we search? What happens when we feel, we start feeling God? There's two possibilities, what happens? On one level, we say, look, there is a world out there, really, but you know what, God? You are actually the one that controls it, even though I can't see you right away, but you are actually in control of the world. You do control the world. So, now, I see a world over there, there is a whole world and everything going on, but you are in charge of the world, even though we don't see you. But then there is a higher level. That's called Yehud There's a higher level. When you reach a higher level, you actually begin to understand and you begin to realize that, you know what? There actually is no world. Everything is God. There's nothing besides God. That There's not even a world. It's not that there is a world. And the world is subjugated to God, that God is in charge of the world. So there is an entity... But the entity is not an independent entity, but it's an entity which is subjugated to God. That's the lower level. The higher level is you reach a level into which is called Yehudi Law, that you come to the recognition that there is actually no world. All what we have is God, that's it. Now, of course there's a world out there. That's just an expression of God's existence. It's not a independent. There's no thing here that has to be subjugated to God, but there's no... It's subjugated from the beginning. It's, it's, it, 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 it doesn't have an existence right from the beginning. So therefore, it's, it's subjugated, and therefore we don't have... We really feel... And that makes a difference in our feelings. It, it's either we feel, yes, I'm a somebody, but I bow down to you, Hashem. So I'm subjugating, but I'm still somebody. I didn't, I didn't say that I'm a nobody. I'm somebody, but you know, you're the boss. So it doesn't take away totally of my, uh, I still got my ego, I still got my self, but you're, you're greater than me. I subjugate myself to you. But it's a whole other level to say, I don't even exist. Only thing who exists is, you know, is, is Hashem. We don't, it's not like we have real existence. That means that we come to the realization that everything in the world is merely an expression of Hashem, and everything is created by Hashem, and this is where Hashem wants it. Now, this is the feelings, is a difference what we get from our fathers or we get from our mothers. What we get from Avram, Yitzchok, Yaakov, and what we get from Sarah, Rivka, Rachavaleya. The fathers that are from a distance, that means to them, they don't relate to the world. They don't relate to the world as such. To them, that would mean it's a feeling that the world doesn't even exist to begin with. The mothers, because they all have a close relationship with the children, with what goes on in the world, they're related to the world, they're connected to the world. They find within the world, they find 
that the world is subjugated to Hashem. So one can think, wow, it's the level of the fathers is much greater. Because from the father's perspective, is Yehudah there's no world in the first place. But we know that that's not really the ultimate. The ultimate goal of Hashem, world, Hashem didn't create angels. Hashem doesn't want us not to be a world. Hashem wants us to make a dira betachtoinim. He wants to dwell within the elements of the world. He wants there to be a world. And Hashem wants you to reveal in the world. If Hashem didn't want it to be a world, He wouldn't create the world. He would create angels. There would be no temptation. There would be... Hashem wants us to subjugate ourselves to Hashem. So in other words, we should be feeling ourselves. We should be entities, but then we should realize that we have to subjugate ourselves to Hashem. The ultimate, the Rebbe says, the ultimate greatness one can reach is actually by being a uh, metzius and then being an existence and then subjugating yourself and then eventually you get to inherit the whole thing through that connection. And the Rebbe brings it down to the very, very practical terms. So this is a little bit Kabbalistic, it's a little bit uh, spiritual, talks about how we should perceive the world, how we should uh, do... The Rebbe brings this down in a very... What is the role of the woman in the Jewish home? As we said before, this is... There's the role, there's the Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov in the world, there is the mother in the world. What is the role of the man, and what is the role of the woman in the home? So on one hand, you know, sometimes the man, if he's supposed to be as he should be, okay... So he provides the general guidance of the home. He provides, he says, well, this is our goals for our home, that we want to have a kosher home, we want to have a home where there's guests in there come to be there, we want to have a home where there is permeated with the words of Torah, we want Yiddishkeit, that gives the general, the general uh, uh, ideas. That comes... Hopefully, if the husband's his mind is right, so that's the home that he wants. What is the woman's role later on? To take that ideas, that's the general thing, and bring it out into reality. Because who is the one who has to deal with the day-to-day activities, creates the home, makes the home what it is? That's the woman. Besides the fact, when the Rebbe talked to Sicha, he was talking, it was, must have been it's like 50 years ago, in those days, the women didn't go out to work a whole day. The women were home most of Or a lot of them worked at home. They didn't go out. So the Rebbe says in the Sicha, in this talk, he says, well, while the husband or the man of the house is out at work and the wife is tending to the children, so she is the one that is in the home. Today, I don't know who the wife is. Today, is, today probably the maid is, <laughs> is the one that gets the house done. Everything is. Today, we have two fathers and no mothers. <laughs> because everybody's working to pay the to pay the mortgage and to pay the bills and everything else is not enough for one person working. So, But that's not the way the Rebbe wrote it at that time. That's not the way it was meant to be. It's meant to be. So, so on one hand, the Rebbe says, it's the woman's role to take all these great ideas and to actually bring it down, to develop it, to bring down. He brings the plan, but she brings the action, basically. means that she takes his want his desire, which is the Ratzin of Hashem, to have a good home, and she goes and develops it, makes it into a siyah, makes it actually, practically, that that's the way it should be. But then there's another interpretation also, and the Talmud says, it says, who is, a kosher woman does her husband what the Ratzin, it says, sometimes the husband doesn't want, he doesn't want, so the word, the meaning of it's the woman's responsibility to make her husband want because he may want to be he's too busy or he's too tired or he's too involved in other things he doesn't you know like the story about uh shabbos morning the wife wakes up the 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 husband and she says look it's almost time to go to shul it's 15 minutes shul starts get up and go to shul Ah, he says, no, I'm not going today, I'm not going to shul today, I'm not going today. Five minutes later, he wakes up again, it's it's only ten minutes later, you got to go to shul. He says, I don't like to go to shul, I don't like the people there, the people don't like me, I'm not going to shul. Five minutes later, he says, it's already time for shul to go, you're going to be late now, get up and go. 
And he says, he says, I already told you, I'm not going today to shul. That's it. It's fine. I'll go to shul. So she says to him, he says, but you're the rabbi. You got to go to shul. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes it is, I said it's saying, Baila, means that she makes her husband want, you know, that she makes, he may not want so much, you know, I, I see it all the time, you know, I see it in my flesh and blood. <laughs> she, she tells me, you know, she tells me what I need to do, and, you know, Baruch Hashem, you know, that, and I'm sitting right here now because I'm, she makes me up to want, but the, but the whole idea is actually, she doesn't say she forces, she makes him want. She develops, and she does it in a nice, it does it in a way, in a kind, in a good way, and she encourages, they encourage their husbands, they encourage them to do what they need to do. And it's taka. And the reality is that uh, it is the women of the house that help their husbands be what they could and what they should be. And, uh, you know, to try to, to develop that. That level of work. And then when you have a husband and a wife together, it says you have the ish and the isha. So Ish in Hebrew is spelled Aleph Yud Shin. It has the letter of Yud of the name of God. Isha, they both have, Isha has the hay. They both have Ish. Ish is fire. So you got Ish, you got fire, and then you got by the Ish, you got the Yud in the middle, and by the woman you have the hay at the end. So if you bring the Ish and the Isha together, you have the name of God together. You have Yud K. That means that you bring, you have a home and where you have a Shem in there. This is by the by the woman, the fire is even stronger because over there the hay comes after the ash. By the man, the yud is in between, so it sort of cools off a little bit the the ash over there. So there's an ish there. But together, the yud and the k together make up God's name. And when you have God's name, that's when you have the divine presence resting in your home. That's when you have Hashem resting in your home, and that is uh, the uh, major. Uh, contribution and the greatest privilege of the Jewish women to hold this up together. And as we're today, your site of the, the third day of, of Tammuz and the Rebbe uh, actually um, gave us the strength for us to uh, go ahead and uh, do what we have to do. Um, the Rebbe put a lot of uh, hope on the women. He brings down the postulates of the Sikha. Hashem says to Avram, everything that Sarah tells you, listen to her, because she knows better. And even though you're Avraham, and you think that you're the man, but she knows better, and you have to listen to her. So that's, the Rebbe has brought it out, and given the woman the special place that they deserve, in Yiddishkeit, in the home, and giving them the credit that brought down from, when Moshe gave the Torah, first he speaks to the woman, and then he speaks to the man. And then, uh, we'll have a success in what we do. So Hashem should help that the problems that should be in the past, the Hashem will avenge their blood of those korbanos that fell, our Kiddush Hashem, to sanctify Hashem's name. Hashem will send us Mashiach very soon, who will resurrect all those who passed on, and we'll be together with our Rebbe, and together with all the tzaddikim, and together the world will bring in its wholesomeness so that the Shekhinah will no longer be hidden. We won't have to hide and go seek, but it'll actually all be open and revealed and we'll see uh, Hashem's divine presence over here. And we hope this happens very soon nowadays.